This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. When I was in college, I took a class on writing creative nonfiction. My first experience with the type of writing done here at Second Story. I wrote a piece about my struggles with body image. And as a part of the process of writing, I posted a couple of questions online to see if any other men wanted to share their own similar experiences. It was honestly heartwarming and even surprising to see how many other folks responded that I wasn't alone in this difficulty. This week, Second Story Company member C.P. Chang shares his own journey with confidence and how the fight for self-love is never-ending. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in December 2023, Second Story is proud to present You Have a Cute Face. It's an average Saturday morning, some years ago, and Jess, my wife, is heading out the door to teach her yoga classes and workshops. I put down my crossword puzzle and give her a goodbye smooch. She says to me, you have a cute face, as she often does. It means a lot of different things. I'm happy to see you. I'm sorry I have to leave for work now. I'll miss you while you're gone. Mostly it means I love you. But the one thing I can't quite hear is, your face is cute. She has given up on trying to tell me I'm handsome. It makes me feel uncomfortable, but she isn't sure why. I think it's because at the root of it, I don't really believe it. Let's go back to my junior year of high school. It's fall semester, I'm 16, and today is the day I'm gonna talk to Amy Spicer. Amy Spicer is radiant. She is not the sexiest girl in school, but she is darn cute, tall, brunette, the kind of girl who's in all the high school musicals, who laughs gloriously loudly in the hallways, flashing that big, bright theater smile. You know what I mean. And I was going to talk to her today. So she'd know who I was. I hadn't even had a real conversation with her yet. But that day, my plan was to find Amy in the hallways, tell her I saw her in Hello, Dolly, and I really liked her Irene Malloy, and maybe we could, um, well, I hadn't figured out that part yet. So this morning, I'm washing my face, looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm thinking, I'm not crazy about my nose. My eyes, forget the cliche for a second, my eyes are crooked? I have acne, but today is probably as good as it's gonna get. And then I take a step back and think, I don't have a shot. It wasn't that I couldn't talk to girls. It's easy to look at me, Asian, glasses, and think I must have been shy and awkward, but that wasn't true. I was a talkative, friendly kid and traded notes with elementary school crushes. But it's different by the time you get to high school. In high school, people actually went on dates. By people, I mean other people. (laughs) This was a mostly white high school in suburban Ohio. My best friends, Matt and Mike, always had girlfriends. Yeah, Matt is tall and athlete who DJs. Mike, on the other hand, is three inches shorter than I am. A really nice guy, but not an athlete or musician, and yet also always had a steady girlfriend. 
The friends that we were, Matt and Mike, were white. I am not. I look nothing like my friends. Everyone I knew around me, everyone I saw on TV or in the movies, if they looked like me, they sure as hell didn't sound like me. They were not people I wanted to be like, or even be around. They were kung fu experts, nerdy dorks from 16 Candles, or Sulu on Star Trek. There was no Daniel Day Kim or John Cho back then. Hell, the TV character I identified with most was Snoopy, the dog. Because he was different and damn proud of it. People who do talk the way I do, listen to the music I like, shoot hoops, play pool, they don't look like me. And I'm fine with that. If you're my teacher or my partner at pool or my friend, you just need to know who I am beneath my face. You don't have to kiss my face. Well, that last thing kind of rules out the activity I've been hoping for. So I gave up before I even tried. I was bitter through the morning, bitter at myself for rejecting myself. I saw Amy that morning at her locker looking kind of sad. If there were ever a day to talk to her, but then some dude in a varsity letter jacket comes up. She flashes that winning smile again. This time, I think it's bittersweet. And the dude reaches in to hug her. By then, I'm already walking past. She was probably out of my league anyway. I bet a lot of you have done the same thing. Reject yourself before anyone else had a chance to do it. Hopefully, you got through it. Maybe you developed other mechanisms to validate yourself. You become the stylish one, up on the latest fashion. You're the funny one, the class clown that makes people laugh or forget the troubles for a while. You're the nice one who listens and nods and offers a shoulder to cry on. But my solution never was to actually look at myself in the mirror and say, I am handsome. And the truth was, I had it easier than some. I wasn't marginalized because I was differently able. I wasn't at war with my own brain, fighting panic or anxiety all the time. I didn't have to hide my sexuality. I can't imagine what it would be like not to be able to tell someone that you like them because your own physical safety was at stake. By the time I was in my 20s, I was living in Chicago, working a corporate job in the software world, forgive me the stereotype, and I started asking women out on dates. Self-confidence, it turns out, translates across territories. I had a good job and good income. Isn't that what they tell us is attractive in a man? I didn't stop becoming Chinese-American, but instead of a face, I was a career in a wallet and a good suit and tie. Maybe it mattered less what I looked like and more what I did. So when I met Lynn at this mashup of a party consisting of science writers, theater majors, and a few yuppies like me, I think I have a shot if I ask her out. She's a sandy, brown-haired woman who designs exhibits for the Museum of Science and Industry. She's friendly and flirty, social butterfly, who says yes. I take her out for an expensive sushi date. It's a move of mine. My fellow Asian-American friends have talked about how taking a date out to sushi is a great litmus test. This was before sushi became so common you could pick it up at Jewel Osco. <laughs> If your date was open to trying new foods, they might be serious about dating an Asian man. You see, even with this mantle of a high-paying job, I still feel like I'm at a disadvantage because of my race. 
The dating website, OkCupid, backs me up, telling me that I'm in the least attractive category because of my race. 12 million American women in the survey who won't date me because I'm Asian. The internet says it's because Asian men are demasculinized, and I get it. Even the Asian women I knew wouldn't date Asian men. They'd say, oh, it'd be too much like dating my brother. Why is this a thing only if you're Asian? If you don't like a type of person, just don't. Don't blame it on a fear of incest. So you have to be a different kind of woman to date an Asian man. I'm not saying there must be something wrong with you if you want to date me. I'm broken, I'm just not that broken. These are the neuroses of being a person of color in America. When young American girls dream of their partners, they dream in white. That date with Lynn went, okay. I talked about my travels as a consultant and my work with dot-com startup, maybe a little too much about it. But it's enough for a second date. A second date that Lynn later tells me was supposed to be our last date. We were just gonna hang out together one rainy Sunday afternoon, but it winds up being a tough day for me emotionally. And so when she arrives at my place, I say, don't just stay in. I'm not much of an entertainer. I'm a 20-something bachelor with a TV, a good stereo, and a rack of hip-hop CDs, and oh, that, that's a binder of some short stories I'm working on. Can I read them? She asks. She's humoring me, I think, but she reads avidly for a while turning pages quickly. She looks up, eyes shining. Is there more? Not really. Will there be more? Will you write more? Would you? And that sealed it. We dated and fell in love. She didn't love me for success or money, but for something that I loved doing. Spoiler alert, it did not last. <laughs> But over the next dozen years, this was a pattern that developed and worked in my favor. The poet in Paris, we traded fiction and poetry over email for months before we hooked up. The editor at Playboy magazine, we kept in touch via photo blogs for a year before we started dating. These women saw me as me through my skin. Except, isn't my skin still a part of who I am? A few years go by. I leave the corporate world for graduate school at Columbia College in creative writing, breaking the stereotype, thank you very much. <laughs> and I see this woman from time to time in the hallways. Jess is a black woman with long, locked hair, soft cheeks, a brilliant smile, and a bright red winter coat. It's Chicago. If we don't know each other by our winter coats, then how do we recognize each other? <laughs> I don't know this yet, but Jess knows who I am too. She's read my work in class, stories that have intrigued her, made her wonder who this guy was, writing about black and Chinese friendships in small Midwestern towns. We meet casually at readings. My last week in grad school, at a second story event, I ask her if she wants to hang out together at the Art Institute. It's a warm May afternoon when we meet up in front of the lions. She's interesting and charming and cute. And yes, on our second or third day, I take her out for sushi. Coast, up in Bucktown. It's a very sexy restaurant. <laughs> Outside of a Starbucks in Uptown, I stole my first kiss. 
I didn't ask her first because I hadn't practiced consent language. Not an excuse, more like advice for anyone raising children out there. Asian immigrant parents don't talk to their kids about sex. Jess and I talked deep into the nights about writing and art, about being persons of color in America. And with Jess, I could be all of myself. I was lucky to find Jess. I didn't have to prove myself, just be myself. When she first saw me in the suit I wear on our wedding day, she sighed, look how handsome you are. And I told her, I love you too. I always deflected her compliments. And so after years of deflection, she took me by the hand one day to stand in front of the mirror. She holds me by the shoulders and turns me to face my reflection. What do you see? She asks. Um, a mirror that needs to be cleaned? <laughs> I'm joking, it's white. She sighs. No, look at yourself. Don't you see how handsome you are? I look. It's the same nose as when I was a teenager, but my skin is clearer. I'm going gray in random spots that occasionally stick out. But mostly, whether I'm 15 or 50, I still don't look like I sound. I still don't see anything in the world that matches my reflection. Do I see myself as handsome? No, is the answer. I don't tell her that, though. She's trying to give me something, I know that. It's just, it's not hers to give. I love this face, she says. I love you. I know you love me. It's why I can't trust you. <laughs> if you thought I was cute while you hated my guts, then I could believe you. She rolls her eyes at me and says, you are making me crazy. And maybe I am crazy. How do you convince someone that they're wrong about their self-image? How do you undo a lifetime of socialization? Maybe we should all compliment beautiful people on their smarts and smart, charming people on their beauty. Jess turns me to look at her, holds me a little too firmly by the cheeks, and growls at me, you have a cute face. She storms out of the bedroom while I rub my jaw. I love you too, honey. This story was produced by Jenna Myers, curated by Amy Tim, and directed by Brandy Jimenez Lee. Music and sound engineering was by Nathan Kistler. The Second Story Podcast is produced by Max Spitz. To be the first to hear about updates and new episodes, sign up for our podcast listserv at 2ndstory.com slash podcast, or subscribe to the Second Story Podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture with the Richard H. Driehouse Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.